they found out that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome, because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they'd looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those days on the island, uh, I'm sorry, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. If you'll flip over as well to 2 Corinthians 11, just read a set of six verses there. That scripture from Acts 27 and 28, it's just an example that encompasses that in the mission heart of God, where we are called to go, where we are sent out, where we are to get to places that have been unreached with the gospel, untapped areas, areas that are going to be highly influential in other areas receiving the gospel, such as Rome, where it was once said, all roads lead to Rome. The apostles believed, man, if we can get the gospel into Rome, where all roads go in and out, then that means we can get the gospel in and out of the then known world. And there is great spiritual warfare and opposition to Paul. There was great natural hazards and travel hazards. You know, ODOT, you know, trip check was saying like, warning, warning, don't take this, you know, don't take this route. And not only that, there were people that could also provide a hazard. And Paul would write later on in 2 Corinthians 11, he writes, are all these guys ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. This is 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes or whippings above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches." And so Paul would just write of, of the attack and the persecution 
and the natural disasters that come from traveling, uh, you know, the, the illnesses that come from being in, the, in conditions that your body's just not acclimated to. And, and so there's this, this, there's this level of danger and severity in all of these kind of realms as we go to these places. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit later and how we've encountered that in our trip. Just that scripture helps inform, you know, that that is going to be our experience as well. But before we dig into that, um, we just want to, to just look at Nepal and, you know, just, it all kind of fits together that, you know, we have been learning that since Jesus has told us to go into the world and preach the gospel, um, which has been the heart of God, that all the nations would hear of the beauty of God's uh, salvation love and his actions to save man by, by the sacrifice of his son and to bring glory to himself through that action, that the whole world needs to hear this. The whole world needs to hear this. And that is where we come in. We are the ones that help the whole world hear this. We, we bring the action to that through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's up to the Lord to, you know, to bring the increase through that. But we just are the ones that, that plant and water. And we have learned that in the last 2,000 years since Jesus has given that command, that really half of the world has still not been reached with the gospel and a quarter of the world uh, is, is not even being engaged. And we've looked at this many times uh, that within the world, the big blue world, there's about 7.2 billion people and half of that within the orange, about 2.4 billion have never uh, or rather I should say, uh, are unreached with the gospel. Uh, many people have never heard of the gospel. There are uh, less than 2% disciples there making disciples. And uh, that, that's considered an unreached area. And then half of that even, or a quarter of the world's population, are considered uh, unengaged unreached, which means there's no active church planting or discipleship uh, happening within these nations. And those nations are primarily found in what is called the 1040 window, uh, Northern Africa, the Horn of Africa, uh, Central Asia, and uh, Southeast Asia. <clears throat> and, uh, and so, you know, we've been learning this. This is really nothing new to our body. We've been uh, passionate about this um, for three years in understanding these uh, these truths of missiology or the study of the missionary movement. And so with that, uh, you've got this, these unreached, unengaged people groups throughout the world. It's different faiths. It's different religions. It's different global conditions, different environments, different languages, um, uh, different geographical barriers to the gospel getting there. Um, and yet they're still unreached and unengaged all the same. Uh, in Nepal's case, um, let me just adjust something very quickly here. Uh, in Nepal's case, you've got um, 250 different people groups in the top left, uh, which are really, it's broken down into different languages, uh, cultures, geographic locations, um, and uh, you have to listen to our first series study to get that. About 250 people groups in Nepal 
and only uh, about eight of those have been reached with the gospel top center there. 242 people groups in uh, Nepal still remain unreached with the gospel as it is there in the 1040 window. And so, uh, and so within those people groups, you know, we've, we've looked at that there is the, these Hindus who, um, you know, are just, have gotten, you know, this new age doctrine and theology that, you know, through labor and through work and through toil, you know, and through trying to be at oneness with all things, perhaps you'll eventually be reincarnated into something great as you perhaps would pick one of 3.2 million gods to worship. Uh, still, your labor and, and karma would determine which caste system that you would be born into. And, and it is a hopeless religion um, of, of uh, really paganism and, uh, and many different gods that are worshipped. Or we looked at, and we, we dove in deep two weeks ago into uh, Hinduism. We've looked at Buddhism and, uh, and you know, springing off of similar roots as Hinduism. Um, you know, we've looked at within Nepal, there is what's called Tibetan Buddhism or uh, Tantric Buddhism, which is a very uh, spiritualistic, demonic, um, very dark and scary form of Buddhism birthed out of, uh, you know, where even Buddha himself was born uh, there in Nepal. We looked at that last week. And so we looked at these two different faiths of, you know, really a works-based, you can't even call it salvation. It's just, you know, really no hope. And just, man, the more I labor, I just hope that I'm working more good than bad in my life so that in the next life, my essence might become something greater until finally, you know, this life of suffering, as the Buddhists believe, will just one day, hopefully, uh, as this wheel of life uh, tells the story, will just one day the demon, the great demon that decides where I'm reincarnated to, that one day he'll just allow me to just be snuffed out like a candle and just be uh, in the state of nirvana. Um, whereas, you know, we've, we've compared and contrasted and, and really contrasted uh, that with the teachings of Jesus, that there is certainty and hope for the one that realizes, I'm just doing nothing but bad. Uh, and, and I need someone to come and to live that perfect life for me and to die a sacrificial death for me. And Jesus teaches that if you would put your trust in that one who is Jesus, you'll not perish. You won't be uh, cast down into the place of torment, but you'll be um, resurrected into eternal life where you're not snuffed out, but you get to have a certainty of enjoyment of life with creator in paradise forever because of his grace and for his glory. And so we looked at these two different faiths and, and that brings us to just today where it is, you know, those faiths have a dramatic effect on, on what we call um, the five core issues there in Nepal, because it's unreached, because uh, it's even many places unengaged, because Jesus, the gospel, hasn't gone in and penetrated darkness, uh, you've got darkness. You've got darkness on all fronts there. And so you kind of look at even a humanitarian aspect or a social aspect of um, Nepal, and uh, <clears throat> the history of, it, of Nepal as a country itself is just, it's tragic, it's 
tumultuous. It's gone from a monarchy to an unstable democracy to communism to civil war to finally now what's called a federal secular parliamentary republic in which you know it's it's the only uh, Hindu nation in the world and and there's persecution against Christian within this republic. Um, now, even though it was a joy that through the government slavery ended in 19 in the 1920s, uh, we're going to see in just a little bit. It's still got the highest uh, statistics in the world of human trafficking. Currently in Nepal, they've gone through where they've finally adopted a constitution through much trouble and many riots and much battle and, and, and all kinds of uh, protests. But finally in 2015, since we've been there, they've adopted this constitution and it seemed like such a breath of fresh air for Nepal. Finally, there's some sort of governmental structure and, and there's going to be some, something that can, that can govern us. And, and we found that that itself has even, um, you know, just been birthed with this Hinduistic attitude of uh, hatred towards Christian and preaching the gospel. But um, the average income in Nepal is $2 a day. And so just imagine, you know, living with your family on $2 a day. Because of that, Nepal suffers from high levels of hunger and poverty. Nepal is ranked 147 on the Human Development Index. It holds a status as one of the least developed countries in the world. But through the new constitution, the new president, they hope to elevate themselves out of that by uh, 2022. Now, through our organization in Nepal, there's these five core issues that we have seen that a lack of the gospel causes all sorts of problems in these areas. And so, you know, bringing the gospel into different villages, you begin to see transformation happen in these areas, uh, such as um, health, trafficking, education, child labor, and uh, environment. Now, environment, uh, you know, as you go through, as we've studied, especially Buddhism, which in the Himalayas, it's... it's um, Tibetan Buddhism. And as we studied, because all of life is suffering, we've just got to deal with the problems of suffering. And through Buddha and, you know, these eight main resolutions, you know, we can just separate ourselves, just life after life. I just got to keep separating myself from this around me and just focus and meditate and just take care of myself. And because of that, there are all kinds of issues in each one of these areas, including environment, that it's just, well, I've got these waste products from being alive and I've just got to just dump it and just meditate. And so as you go through the Himalayas and you're walking through beautiful mountain country and creeks and streams, it's just, we dump our garbage in this creek right here. Uh, we dump our trash here. And we go to the bathroom right here. And we're going to try to build an outhouse, you know, as, as some advancement comes in through humanitarian aid. And the monks will come and say, no, be, because you go to the bathroom in the same spot, the spirits come and they're going to attack you there. So you just go to the bathroom anywhere right here in this village, which is where our people are at helping. Uh, and so, you know, these things kind of blend together, obviously, but because there's not a good, you know, clean water source, um, because there's not... 
um, you know, the roads aren't in the right places because there's not a good taking care of the land and things that we see regarding stewardship of, of the land. There's 40% crop loss. There's uh, dysentery through unclean water and things like that. And so um, where we see the gospel going in through our organization, they're beginning to teach people how to purify water, uh, great sanitation practices, uh, and how to, uh, you know, even just practical things like, um, you know, gathering wood and watching for erosion and, you know, all sorts of agricultural things. And so this is just practical. All these things kind of flow out of, you know, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And where the lack of the spirit of the Lord is, there's just problems on all fronts. And so in the issue and area of health, you know, poor um, environmental conditions lead to very poor health conditions. About 24,000 children die before the age of five every year in Nepal. Uh, it's gotten so bad that people aren't even naming their children up in these Himalayan villages until they're about eight years old because kids are just dying. And so uh, it's actually turned into an incredible opportunity for evangelism uh, to go in and just to offer some tangible love. Uh, even as we saw in our reading of Paul on the island of Malta, uh, you know, there were sick and diseased people on this unreached island. And so he ornamented the gospel by healing and reaching out through some of these tangible humanitarian ways. And uh, just to read from our sources website, the harsh cycles of deprivation and mass poverty in rural Nepal leads to the pervasiveness of poor nutrition, the absence of sanitation, the lack of access to medical care and clean water, and high child mortality rates. This cycle of suffering affects every aspect of life for those in remote villages of Nepal's Himalayas. An alarming number of children living in the Himalayas will die before their eighth birthday. This leading cause of death among these children is simple diarrhea, and can be directly traced to contaminated drinking water, limited access to clean water, insufficient sanitation, and poor hygiene worldwide kill 3.6 million people annually. That is more than wars, famine, and AIDS combined. And, you know, we see this even where we go, which, you know, we're not even, so yet, so far we haven't really, uh, you know, we were beginning to crest year one, into some of these really remote areas, but even in like the Rasua district, that there's a Christian population starting to grow there, really exciting. Uh, you, you're walking down the trail and you get people calling for you to come give them medical aid. This is just, these are two different examples from last year's trip of a gal on the left who was logging, you know, she's up in a tree cutting a branch down, falls out of the tree, cracks her head on a rock, and for I don't remember how many days it had been, uh, just had like a bloody wound on her head that hadn't even been cleaned yet. And you can imagine just the infection that's starting to set in and just no care, no, like, like no simple basic first aid knowledge in these areas that, you know, we teach our kids, uh, wash your hands, things like that. Water's not even clean. But, uh, or, or a guy from India who was building a school. Uh, was he working on the church? He was actually working on the church in uh, Tatopani. And he had like smashed his thumb and blew it open with a hammer and just basically wrapped it and was going about working for days and 
we unwrap that thing, you know, and it's, you know, just basic first aid that we were able to give um, to, to people there that, you know, and so everything from basic first aid, they're, they're losing limbs. Um, we came across a lady this year who had uh, smashed her leg with a, mach- a machete and it had been so infected that, you know, they want you to just give them some kind of uh, antibiotic. And, uh, I mean, it, it was so far, you could tell that, I mean, she's either going to lose her leg or die, you know. And so these are just things that, you know, where the, the spirit of the Lord is, where the gospel goes, you know, um, also come with it wonderful transformations in these areas. Um, education is a part of uh, the, the five core issues that we see in Nepal, where 84% of Himalayan children live in remote villages and are deprived of even the most basic education. A lack of education in remote villages of Nepal creates an environment in which villagers are unaware of sanitation and hygiene issues. It leads to diseases and sickness. They're more vulnerable to human trafficking. They're more susceptible to child labor. And they have no hope for their future. And of course, we would say, man, and and to be able to uh, study the word of God and to read scriptures, if they're even in their languages. Um, Education is the key that breaks this cycle of suffering. Child labor is one of their main issues that uh, work starts at age five and keeps children from attending school. And uh, of course, you know, many of us are like, hey, it's not a bad thing to teach your kids responsibility and to build a good work ethic in them. But the problem is, is many times it's not even through the families. It's through uh, different, basically, um, construction agencies where uh, 1.6 million children between the ages of 5 and 17 are enslaved in underage labor in Nepal. Um, It stops them from being able to go to school and continues the cycle that they've seen happening in the Himalayas. And, uh, man, we just walk along the the Gatlang village streets and you've got little tiny kids, Titus's size, uh, with a hammer making gravel out of rock. You know, just you know, go make gravel all day long, and uh, and that's that's uh, some of the child labor that we see. Uh, and of course, something dear to our heart is Wednesday we have a, a meeting down at the golf course. Uh, human trafficking: fifteen thousand to twenty thousand children with an average age of twelve years old are trafficked every year in Nepal. Which is really, it was this issue that led uh, our friend Jack to quit his engineering business uh, or working as an engineer and to go to give his life savings to go to Nepal and try to fight human trafficking. And as he's there trying to fight trafficking, he realizes that at the core of trafficking, it's a sin issue that needs the gospel of Jesus to bring spiritual transformation there. Uh, From our friend's website, um, an unimaginable number of young victims from Nepal are coerced, transported, and held as slaves for the purpose of sexual exploitation by manipulation and force. Stemming from poverty and discrimination, trafficking shatters the existence of these young victims in ways that are difficult to imagining. imagine. Trafficking of girls from Nepal into India for forced prostitution is perhaps one of the busiest slave trafficking routes anywhere in the world, with an estimated 5,000 to 10,000 Nepali women trafficked across the border every year and an estimated 100,000 to 200,000 
Nepali trafficked persons still in India. In many cases, relatives or acquaintances deceive the parents with the promise of a better life in the city for their children, only to exploit them into sex trafficking. Often the families will never hear from the child again. And so, you know, this is something that just being in Nepal, being in Badur, where we have a, a relationship growing with the church there, and just seeing that that is a hot spot, one of the highest spots in Nepal for uh, trafficking through um, lack of education about trafficking. Uh, and we have just gone to start praying for um, the kingpins of these mafia-run trafficking organizations that we need the Paul, we need the Saul of Tarsus to be born again so that that can cease because of gospel transformation up at the head. And so with that, you know, having this uh, humanitarian issue that comes from unreached people groups, uh, even the, the, the religions of Buddhism and Hinduism, uh, and a lack of care even, uh, it leads to um, these humanitarian issues, but also leads to the spiritual issues that we have even faced while we've been there, in that there's a spiritual battle going on. Um, I think of Daniel in his prayer life doing spiritual warfare. If you want to flip over to Daniel chapter 10, look at verse 2. It says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And then if you look down at verse 10, Daniel 10, 10, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to make you understand what, I, what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. If you hop down to verse 20. Then he said to me, do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. And so we have this incredible description of like spiritual warfare that was going on in the days of Daniel, the events surrounding Israel, and you've got, you know, Persia and Greece and these armies that were eventually going to be a part of Israel's, uh, the rule over Israel. And, you know, an incredible thing is he went to pray and from day one, the Lord sent uh, this angel to go and to speak these words of prophecy to him. And uh, as he went to pray, um, 
the angel was sent forth and it took three weeks of spiritual warfare and battle. You've got this angel that's trying to make it there to speak to Daniel and he can't get there. There's warfare going until finally Michael the archangel comes and relieves this angel so he can come and, and speak the words of Daniel chapter 10 there. You know, as we understand, uh, you know, unreached people groups, as we understand, you know, that, that man, the gospel will be preached to every nation and then the end will come. And hey, let that be today, Lord. Amen. Like, um, but, uh, but man, you can only imagine there's a prince of Persia. There's a, there's a prince of Greece. And I believe there's a prince over Nepal. That there is warfare going on. That we as a church in our fastings and prayer, we'd be doing warfare for the Footstool Project and for other organizations, for Gospel for Asia, for the preachers that are over there, for our church that are over there. Those days that we're in Nepal and you guys gather three times a day to pray for us are so important because basically a Daniel chapter 10 type thing is happening there. And we actually, before we left for Nepal, we were in Ephesians 6 as a church anyways, where Paul writes about this battle against principalities. If you want to flip over to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, where he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand. He says a similar thing in 2 Corinthians 10. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You know, we have talked about you know, the, the religion, we're, we're shifting not... You know, it's similar things with Hinduism, but in the Himalayas, we've got Tibetan Buddhism, where the, t the Tantric Buddhism especially just has this awareness and understanding of the spiritual realm and taking upon yourself these demons to be able to combat other demons. It's a very terrifying thing to them. It's all they know is to have this demon maybe come into me and maybe I can beat that demon, get a greater demon in me, and we will get this demon. And we've experienced this uh, here in, in uh, Nepal. Just crazy oppression, crazy awareness of the spiritual realm. Uh, this is a picture taken from uh, year one of our trek in the Solo Kumbu region. Uh, and this is uh, in the area of, um, of uh, Gumdel. And uh, we... We're coming back, but uh, originally we, we were going forward, and there's a house there that we stayed in one night, and it was a, it was a white, almost looked like a white farmhouse, you know, something you'd kind of see out, uh, an old rundown white farmhouse, and uh, you get there, and you know, you're thinking of movies that you saw in your Before Christ days of like, I know what happened here, you know, um, but when you got there, immediately we began to feel just the oppression of the enemy, that there was darkness present there. And, you know, at first, none of us said anything. We just were, like, feeling something was going on. And to the side of the dining room area was this large room that housed one of those Tibetan prayer bells that we've seen uh, in, in, in last week's teaching. And, uh, and Luke said, man, when you see a giant karma bell like that going on in a house, uh, you know there's, there's 
stuff going on. And he said, have you guys sensed since we've been here? I was thinking about how I'm, I was 33 at the time, 35 now, and I have to get up in the middle of the night now, you know, to go to the restroom. I'm just getting old, you know, and uh, TMI, too many informations. But, uh, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we're up on the third floor of this thing, and in the middle of the night, I'm going to have to come down past the prayer bell and go to the squatty potty over here. And I'm like, there's, there's dark, like, I just, I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> I wish my little kid was here from home to hold my hand because I'm scared. And I'm just like, oh no, I'm going to have to wake a buddy up to like walk to the bathroom with me remembering movies that I saw as a kid. Anyways, and, uh, and we just went to prayer as a team. And I mean, it, it wasn't anything fancy or anything. We just started praying and we prayed and we just felt, just, we just felt the darkness flee. And we just we just were able to, we had joy after that. We were able to fellowship. Um, I got up in the middle of the night and went down there and just enjoyed the stars and enjoyed my time, you know. <laughs> uh, hard to come back from that. Um, but we noticed that also this last uh, trip as we went to um, Demon Lake. And it was on the, that previous trip where we came to that scary white mansion. We were in the back of a Jeep going through the mountains, uh, going over boulders, and we passed a little pond up in the mountains. And the pond had these prayer flags all around it. And I said to Luke, hey, that looks like a nice quaint little spot to have a picnic. And he says, that with the prayer flags around it, that wouldn't be a place to have a picnic. He says, the, the Tibetan Buddhists, they basically see spirits, demonic beings, rise up out of these ponds, and so the villagers come, seeing these things, they worship them, and they try to, they try to get the powers on them to fight other demons, it's very dark, it's very scary, he says, like, our friends have seen this, and he tell, told a story, uh, and, and we turned out going there this year, I wasn't aware that it was in the region we were at, he tells a story back then of the place we went this year that we just basically have called Demon Lake, and there's all these flags here. And it was at Demon Lake that he said um, that this large, they called it a duck-looking demon, comes up out of the, the pond, up out of the lake. And uh, during the feast days, all the villages from around the region there in the Rasua district would come and worship and pay homage to this big demon and then many other spirits that live in the waters would come and manifest. People are seeing these things. Well, you might remember our story of uh, King, who was, his father was the first Christian in the area, killed by the monks because he wouldn't go back to Buddhism. Um, King shared the gospel with the up-and-coming witch doctor of this area, and the witch doctor gets saved. And King, who is blind and mute and only able to communicate through people who know what King is saying, uh, he disciples um, the the young former witch doctor who couldn't read the Bible, prayed overnight, was able to read the Bible overnight. And they said, we need to get up to that lake and we need to, to rebuke the enemy from this place. And so uh, they went with their church that we spent a lot of time with and they went up and as the spirit appeared, they cast the demon out. And now all of the Buddhist villages in the area know that it was the Christian church that cast that scary demon away and that... Um, 
you know, they, they know that it was Yesu that has the power over such demons. And so we went up to this place to uh, pray one day. And we had been trekking and we'd been working for the church there. We'd hiked over that ridge uh, to another village and it was just a very intense, crazy hike. And uh, some of us had gotten sick. And, um, but that morning that we went to that lake, our guide who is tried and true, has gone with us, uh, he's, he knows what he's doing regarding trekking. Uh, he passes out at the breakfast table, just faints, cracks his head on the table, lands in Nate's lap and comes to, he's like, uh, I've never had this happen before. Uh, one of our other guides, who's a photographer for the footstool project, she passed out further down the mountain. Uh, she's like, we've never had our staff pass out um, before. And, and yet both of them passed out on this trip. And we were on our way up to this place and we just knew, we just sensed there's just warfare. It's the same type of thing that's going on in, in the big white house with the prayer bell. And we went up to this lake and we just began to pray and just re-fortify just the warfare that's going on and, uh, and just continue to pray that there would just be light. We were praying prayers of faith that where it's illegal to be baptized. If you're baptized in Nepal, it's your two-week life expectancy. You'll be killed. Uh, that this area would become a, a baptismal site and a place where fellowship can take place. Luke, kind of in the midst of this, Luke told me a story of a friend from his home church who was not a Christian yet, and he took kind of a spiritual pilgrimage to Nepal. And he was digging deep into Buddhism. He was considering becoming a Buddhist. And, and as, as you go to the mountains, the, the people worship the high places. And the higher up, there's a bigger demon god that lives up in these mountains. And so uh, the Buddhists worship the demons of these mountains. And so this friend of Luke's would travel way up into the mountains to try to gain spiritual knowledge and his path and his journey he should go on in life. And he makes his way up to a very high mountain where there's a little shack where the, uh, the demon, or I'm sorry, where rather the, the lama, the head guru of the area stays and lives and his little helper's outside and he comes out and says, you know, what are you doing here? And he's like, I want to speak to the head spiritual guru of this area. And he said, no, no, you can't do that. Like he doesn't, he's not just seen by anybody. And he says, I've climbed all the way up here. I've come all the way from Texas. Like I'm going to become, you know, I'm, come on. I want, and he, there's a voice that comes from inside the shack. Uh, it says, let him in, let him come in and see me. And so he goes inside and this spiritual person or this person turns in to a terrifying demon that, uh, that, made this man about wet his pants and go running down the mountain home. And he ended up becoming a Christian uh, not long after that because he knew there, there's something dark about this and someone's got to have power over such terrifying darkness. And that's something that is so attractive about Jesus in Nepal is that he is the one that has the power to cast out the demons and the dark ones. Uh, there in Nepal, uh, we are wrapping up, by the way, time is... Time is running out uh, as we share about some of these implications. But um, not only are there demonic oppressions and, and uh, dark things, but there's also the physical battle that Paul went through in the scripture that we read. As we know that the gospel needs to go. Paul went through, as we read in 2 Corinthians and in the book of Acts, such incredible physical Things. He went through the beatings. He went through the illness. Uh, it's believed it was during his second missionary journey that going up through Europe, 
he uh, was struck with malaria so badly that it was what caused the blindness and the poor physical abilities in his life. It's part of what caused John Mark to not want to continue on the next mission trip with them or to actually head back home. And, uh, and you know, and that's something that we have also experienced in our Nepal journey, uh, sickness, where uh, almost every year someone gets radically sick, uh, whether it's food poisoning or uh, you know, projectile vomiting on the trail as we're trekking, R- diarrhea. Um, we had one man who on our, on our return to Prineville this year got viral meningitis. And he's, uh, I always say he lost the same finger twice. If you know Dustin, the, a series of unfortunate events led to him losing the same finger twice. Like, that don't just happen to anybody, right? And he says, the viral meningitis was the worst pain, worse than both of my amputations. And, you know, believe that he picked that up there in, um, in Nepal. But uh, Paul experienced the illness. He experienced the beatings and the whippings, the opposition. Uh, one year when we were, the first year, we were in Solokumbu, the Sherpa village, right at the crest to where you start getting into, like, the unengaged area. Uh, we were doing the King of Hearts drama. You know, so we all had, like, these shirts with these hearts on them, and we wear these masks, and we're like, you know, communicating the gospel through drama. And we just got done doing that in the middle of this village, and there's probably 35 little kids just totally engaged in this gospel drama presentation. We haven't even said a word yet. All these adults are lined up on balconies in in the village square as we're um, doing this drama that really, through mimery, tells the story of the gospel. And I then went and I began to tell the story of the drama and our hearts being changed. And I hadn't said anything yet, even about Jesus. And as I'm sharing with this audience, audience is listening, we hear this, shut up, shut up. And we're like, what is that? And it was dark. And, and I'm like, oh no, like the demon's here. Like we're going to see the, you know, he's, he's, I don't need to be afraid, but like this is really happening. Like this stuff happens here. And out of this, cafe lodge place comes a European traveler and he comes running he didn't even know what was going on he just starts yelling shut up and uh and then he sees there's there's a whole bunch of people gathered around and then he sees we're doing a nice little presentation here and he begins to come right at me screaming and yelling and cursing us and I'm you know it's all in slow motion for me shut up blankety blanking you know and uh you know, and so just you're just in the you're just in the spirit. You're just like, Lord, like, how do I cast it? You know, like, cast it out. Or what? You know, and uh, and I just said, He's coming at me. I'm gonna drop him right now. Like, I'm gonna drop him. Like in front of these kids, I'm gonna knock a guy out. And 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 I'm like, Lord, you can't let that. This is all slow motion. You know, I'm like a gymnast trying to. Okay. Uh, and and then the Lord just like brings a peace and I just am able to speak to this man and he just resolves the situation. But as you're sharing the gospel, uh, one of the greatest problems that our organization has over there are tourists from Europe who are hostile towards the gospel. And don't you dare try to inform these individuals who've lived this way for thousands of years of any other way of life. And, uh, and so they, there's fierce opposition through the tourists that are there. That's a way to be uh, praying. Uh, recently, our friend Charlie was up in an unreached area, 
And uh, they knew of this village that had basically just been completely unreached, way up high. And it was later in the day, and they knew, man, if we tried to trek this, uh, this would be, you know, it's, it's going to be rough, and we don't even know what's up there. And, and should we go, or should we stay down in this kind of more known village? And the whole team said, let's go. Let's do it. And so they, just a brutal hike as they got up there. And as they got up there, um, they just began speaking to some people and just kind of feeling out what people had heard about Jesus. And they were told, if you tell us one more thing about Jesus, we will kill your whole team. And so, uh, okay then, well, let's go just a little bit down the hill and, and pray. And some neat opportunities have, start, have started with that village since then. Um, and so with all of that, you know, there's with the tourists and with this, you know, our mission as we go has to kind of be under the radar. It has to be a little bit under the radar. It has to be tactful. And Paul understood that. Paul understood the travel issues as we read of him being shipwrecked in nights and days in the deep. And as we've experienced very strange plane cancellations and delays. I know that sounds like whatever. Don't even try to put the plane cancellation on the same level as shipwreck. But the plane cancellation that was almost specifically for us three trips ago, you remember, uh, that was, it would have ruined our trip due to various contracts that were going on. And the Lord spoke to us, if this is to be resolved, we need to go pray. And after about two days of, you know, agents speaking to agents, we went to pray and within an hour, it was all resolved and we were on our way to Nepal again. Spiritual things like that, that cause our team in Nepal to say, you guys, there's something about your team this year that the enemy does not want you to be here. Or it could be our Jeep as we were driving up into the Solo Kumbu region that struck a boulder and punctured the gas tank, the, the fuel tank. And you're up in the middle of the Himalayas and your Jeep is leaking fuel. So we're dumping our jerky out and we're underneath the Jeep and we're filling up our Ziploc bag with uh, diesel and um, getting lost. We've gotten lost. We've had uh, village strikes this year with tear gas uh, in our area, causing our bus to be canceled. Um, and uh, again, uh, we went to prayer and probably three minutes after we started praying, uh, the cancellations were stopped and, and we were allowed to go through resolution through prayer. Even just the trekking, physical, arduous journey of trekking these mountains and realizing, as Blaine put so well a few, years, uh, a few weeks ago, that, man, as you're trekking, you have got to have the power of the Spirit or you cannot make it. And so with all of that, there's a lot that comes from Nepal being an unreached people group. I just want to show one slide. And who's back there on the slides? Is that you, Olivia? I'm not getting it. Show the, uh, there's a picture of a map with, uh, can we get that? There's a picture of a map with a, a dude with a red rag on his head. I'm not quite sure how else to describe it, but it's quite a ways down there. Just wanted to close with just some encouragement that in the three years that we've gone to Nepal, we've been able to spread the gospel and shine the light on two different people groups in Nepal. One is actually a familiar sounding people group, uh, the Sherpa people. 
the Sherpa Helambu in Nepal. Uh, they have 2,400 and they are 0.00 reached. And we've been able to go and to spread gospel tracts and to uh, the Lord would open up Jeep rides with the llamas in the area that we'd be able to, my father-in-law sharing the gospel for four hours in a Jeep with this solo kumbu Sherpa llama. And he humbly received a gospel of John and said, everything you're saying is very interesting. I will read into this. Uh, that's incredible. We've been reaching out to the Tamang people who are beginning to be more reached uh, than many of the other people in Nepal. There are uh, actually uh, 1,480,000 of them, and they are now 5% reached. And so this last trip, we were able to go and to strengthen the churches. And, and why don't we go ahead and set our things aside? And I'm just going to close with this letter from Adoniram Judson to his future father-in-law, where he asks for uh, his, his future father-in-law's daughter, his Mr. Hasseltine, his daughter's hand in marriage. And in that, he says, I have not to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and suffering of a missionary life, whether you can consent to exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death, can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who has left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing immortal souls? For the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamation of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Talk about a, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage letter. 38 years, Adoniram Judson would have lost three lives and seven children in his missionary work in India. And so as we look at the risk and reward of taking the commission to Nepal, it's time to be looking to the future. We've got dates on the calendar for uh, 2018. We're looking at uh, either the last week in uh, January or uh, the first week in February. And so we'd encourage you, there's a sign-up sheet out on the table out there. And as you, many of you, you've, you've been afraid to go to Nepal. You've been afraid to go, you've been afraid to take a giant step of faith. You've been afraid to heed the great commission and go when you're called to be going. And the Lord would say, you know, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm with you to the end of the age, he says in the great commission. Not to be afraid of the great risk that, you know, there are dangers in, in going and in trekking and 
You're going to get sick. You know, there's attack. You're going to be persecuted. There are all kinds of things that are going to happen. I love what Fred said at the end of his uh, teaching through Philippians. He was just laughing and he just says, man, isn't it crazy that you know, we keep sending people over to Nepal and they keep coming back like, oh, I was barfing over here and I got sick over here and this guy was yelling at me and people keep signing up to go over there. What's up with that? You know, he said it in French. What's up with that? No. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I actually, you know, I was a bit afraid after the last trip to go because of the, all the illness that we got. And turns out, while we were over here, we hadn't gotten sick yet. We're hearing that over here, you are all getting it. Like, everyone in the church is, like, puking. It's like, man, one way or another, we're, you know, this fallen world is going to try to get us. And so we can't let those things distract us from the mission of God, even to the point of death. Man, may we join the ranks of Adoniram Judson, going, losing, sacrificing for the sake of the great name of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that as we have taken these four weeks to, uh, to say, why Nepal? Why there? What's the big deal anyway? Lord, as you have reminded us of the great commission and the great heart of God for the nations all throughout scripture, as we've seen that because there's been no gospel, that there are just religions that have overtaken whole regions. And yet the light of the gospel wants to penetrate those Gentiles. And Lord, you have called our church to go there. For now it's Nepal. Later, it'll be other places too, we're sure. But Lord, we pray that you would awaken by your spirit our body to be part of the Great Commission, to take the risks for the beautiful reward that one day, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people will be represented around the throne of God. And I pray for people who wrestle through this decision to go on the next trip. Lord, help them to consider how hard they wrestled about their Hawaii trip or about their vacation to the Redwood Forest and taking those resources and taking that time to go there. I pray that they would, that they would default to going because you say go to all the world and preach the gospel. We trust you to provide. We trust you to equip. And we trust you for 2018. What an incredible work you're gonna do through our church until then. Be glorified in our body as we care about the things that you care about. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Listen to the past teachings. Uh, and we look forward to getting into Ephesians soon, uh, wrapping up Ephesians and looking at the Gospel Family series.